Hi, my name is Manesh Patel. I'm joined here with a friend and a colleague, Peter Rossing, who I'll have introduced himself in a second. Thank you for joining us on this podcast entitled, How Did the New Insights from the Zareno Study Impact Treatment Options for Our Patients with Atrial Fibrillation and Advanced Kidney Disease? We're excited you've joined us. We have some new data and we want to put it in perspective. But before we get into it, maybe I'll have Peter introduce himself. Yeah, hello. Thank you for joining. Uh, I'm Peter Rossing. I'm an endocrinologist, but particularly interested in uh, kidney disease and uh, how kidney disease and treatment interacts uh, diabetes and, of course, atrial fibrillation. Thanks, Peter. I should have probably introduced myself, too. My name is Manesh Patel. I'm a cardiologist at Duke University, interested in atrial fibrillation from a cardiology perspective, but just a general medicine care perspective. It doesn't matter what field you're in. You're taking care of patients with atrial fibrillation at some point with their comorbidities. So, Peter, you know, we've now had many years of caring for patients with atrial fibrillation with a a variety of different data sources. And uh, at the American College of Cardiology, the Zareno two-year study will be uh, presented. We will talk about that in a second. But tell us what we learned from the Zareno study uh, in the real-world setting at one-year follow-up in our patients with some of this CKD or at risk for CKD. Yeah, thanks. It was an important study because it was the first prospective uh, real-world study collecting data on patients with kidney disease and atrial fibrillation, uh, comparing vitamin K antagonist and uh, the DOEX. And that after one year, you had significant net clinical benefit, meaning less uh, thromboembolic events and, and also less bleeding. But also they had less progression of kidney disease uh, comparing vitamin K and rivaroxaban. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty important finding. And maybe I'll walk you through just a couple of those pieces to make sure I understand. I think, you know, the randomized trials that we conducted, Rocket AF, I was involved in, looked at warfarin versus rivaroxaban broadly to reduce stroke and systemic embolism. But one of the things that we've been worried about or trying to understand is how do the patients with worse baseline kidney function do in the real world? Thinking again, the term real world being as you get into practice, how do the people manage them? And this prospective study in Zareno, people were given at the choice of the clinicians, the, the drug, whether it was rivaroxaban or warfarin and we sort of followed them. And a lot of the endpoints you talked about, thrombosis, stroke, I, I think I would have anticipated. But one that you described was less worsening renal dysfunction and kidney outcomes. Can you maybe tell me a little bit about that and why you think that's possible? Or Yeah, there has been studies from a retrospective analysis of different registers suggesting that there's less progression of kidney disease if you're treating with rivaroxaban compared to warfarin. And the theoretical rationale or the experimental rationale could be there's more calcification in the kidney and the vasculature leading to loss of kidney function if you're treating with uh, vitamin K antagonist. And uh, the data in the registered data supported that, but they are retrospective. So we need some prospective data. And that's where the Sereno data come in uh, showing in this prospective observational data that that they actually are in line with this. Uh, Stage 5 CKD, you have less loss of EGFR over time in uh, this matched analysis. So I think it's important uh, confirming what the retrospective data demonstrated or suggested uh, now in a prospective setting. Yeah, I think it adds, you're right, to what we knew maybe as a signal we saw from Rocket. We saw some retrospective analysis saying, hey, you didn't hypothesize this, but you see that patients getting this therapy in the randomized trials seem to have less worsening renal function. In a prospective study, do you see that too? And we do, and we also have it in the prospective study in Zareno where the endpoints are evaluated, adjudicated in a fashion that's, again, objective. And so that also helps when you're thinking about levels of data, whether it's a retrospective database analysis, a trial analysis, or a prospective observational study with, I'll call it, very objective ways of looking at the endpoints. So I think that's a really powerful finding there. 
Yeah, and that was really, uh, you could say, interesting findings from the one-year follow-up of the Sereno. But what's coming up now with the two-year follow-up? Yeah, thanks, Peter. I think that, you know, what's interesting is, as you can imagine, that um, whenever you see something at one year, you want to follow patients because, you know, obviously these are chronic therapies and chronic disease scenarios. Additionally, renal dysfunction itself is something that over time we know it is, unfortunately, we love to preserve our, our body in every way we can, but we know that renal function over time and some of the patients with atrial fibrillation have a lot of those comorbidities may have complications. So, you know, I often see men and women over 70 that have atrial fibrillation in the next 10 years of their lives, their renal function will deteriorate. You're an endocrinologist, you know, many of those patients have diabetes or other risk factors that worsen their disease. The two-year data presented at the American College of Cardiology 2023 uh, was, again, I would say reassuring and supportive of the one-year finding as patients who got rivaroxaban showed a reduction in adverse kidney outcomes, including the progression to kidney failure and all-cause mortality. And so for me, when you look at things, you look, try to look at them and see consistency and you try to look at the totality of data. And so this, the existing amount of data now we have with rivaroxaban in patients with atrial fibrillation that show that these vulnerable patients, these patients who have a higher CHADS-VAS score, patients by definition who have advanced kidney disease have a variety of risk factors that lead to a higher CHADS-VAS score, whether it's hypertension, diabetes, as I said, heart failure, other conditions. It shows us that the drug seems to not only perform as it did in the trial, but there seems to be at least some two-way advance, one in that you know the correct dose from the trial, but also it might be something that um, helps with preservation. And I wonder from your perspective as an endocrinologist, but somebody who thinks probably a lot about kidney function in our patients who have these conditions, looking at these results from that sort of kidney focus perspective, what do you think? Are are those the highlights or were there other key highlights that I missed? I think uh, to me, of course, these are really uh, highlights because I think we have lacked these data. Uh, There's not been many uh, CKD patients in previous studies and therefore having a study where this is the focus looking into benefit uh, and the adverse events, I think is really important. And showing that this protection of kidney function, which is important, uh, of course, for the risk of ending up in end-stage kidney failure, but also because it increases the risk of stroke if you have CKD. So so in that sense, I think it's really important if you can preserve kidney function more uh, with rivaroxaban compared to vitamin K or warfarin. So I think this was really important data for me, but maybe that's because I have this kidney uh, focus. So from a cardiology perspective, what would be your benefit or or primary take home? Thanks, Peter. I mean, one of the things we don't talk a lot about is that, you know, obviously we train to take care of the whole patient, but then we specialize some of us into different specific areas. And so as an endocrinologist, actually, you take care again of all the all of the patient with many systemic illnesses. But cardiovascular disease, we focus a lot often on the heart and or blood vessels. But I, I guess I would say, you know, one thing for our patients with chronic kidney disease is what I'll call competing risk. As their kidney function worsens, they start to have adverse cardiovascular outcomes but they start to have all kinds of adverse outcomes. And so we know one of the things that I say when I'm in clinic with my fellows is if I can pick one thing for my atrial fibrillation patient, it's often understanding their renal function because the importance of the renal function, it tells me something about their risk, their overall risk, their comorbidities. It tells me at least from the randomized trials, and I feel comfortable, for example, with Rivaroxaban, of what the dosing should be. And then in prospective studies like Zareno, uh, you know, rivaroxaban treatment, again, is associated with reduced adverse kidney events compared to vitamin K antagonists in patients both with advanced CKD uh, and non-valvular AFib at two years. So following them out to two years, their kidney dysfunction seems to continue to be at least a little bit less or they seems to preserve their kidney function. 
Now, the protection observed at one year follow-up for the cardiovascular events, uh, where patients with advanced CKD were less likely to require CKD replacement therapy or progress to kidney failure, persisted over the two-year study period. So I think those are, as you said, really important. And for me, when I think about the cardiovascular events, the patients who have stroke and systemic embolism were also investigated in Zareno, and they were improved at one year. There was no significant difference at two years, but I think the trends were still there. And I think it's important for us. And then, you know, if I think about what Zareno does, as I said, it adds to the real world evidence in the clinical experience with rivaroxaban, which at this point is approaching several hundreds of thousands of patients. And so very rarely do we have the ability to have a therapy that has been studied across so many patients. So from a cardiovascular perspective, I often say you need to know the kidney function because it helps us with dosing and it helps us with making sure that we're following the patients correctly. But what we recognize is also helps us with risk and those patients' risk is carried out. And one of the things I think if you follow kidney patients long enough is that their their competing risk for unfortunately passing away or having events from other reasons starts to overtake the cardiovascular events. And so when we see long-term data, we should also think about that. Nevertheless, we have several hundred thousand patients, over 320,000 patients with clinical experience with the rivaroxaban, so it should be good. So that's how I think about it. Any final thoughts from you, Peter? No, I think you captured it very well. I think we have interesting data. It was good to see this two-year follow-up, really confirming the one-year data on the kidney and and really uh, reassuring that that kidney function is important and don't forget about it. Yeah, look, I mean, I think, as I said before, you know, these conversations are good. We've had several of them. Um, surprisingly, now going on 10, 11 years, we still have new data coming out. And why we have these new data is we continue to work in the real world and in our practitioners to get people to use a therapy. And so, you know, over the last 14 years, over 110 million patients in 110 countries have received rivaroxaban. But what I would often say is the first 10 years is getting people to believe these therapies are better than warfarin. These next 10 years will be making sure people prescribe the correct dose in the right patients. These high-risk patients with renal dysfunction likely benefit more even with this therapy. Uh, my name is Manesh Patel. I want to thank Peter Rossing, who's joined us, and to you all, the listeners. And I want to make sure you also understand that there's a link provided so you can look at the data and the episode uh, as you listen to it carefully at home. This podcast is funded by Bayer AG, and the approval code is M-A-M-R-I-V-A-L-L. One three six eight two. The views and opinions expressed throughout this podcast are those of the speakers based on their expertise and do not necessarily reflect those of buyer.